this text this morning. A warm welcome to all of you. If you have your Bibles, please take, your, take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. And uh, it's a short little passage, at least uh, relatively short compared to how we normally take. So I want to read the scriptures for us this morning in its entirety to get the, the full flavor and the, and the color of this story. Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. We read here the word of God. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little away from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For an amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land when they, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we pray that from this passage that you would show us Christ, show us his, 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 his word and show us his, his power and, and show us, Lord, just uh, who he is to us. Show us, Lord, the, the, how he is worthy to be followed, worthy to be answered to. Uh, worthy to commit our lives and, and pursue with all our being. And God, we thank you then uh, that you have shown, that you revealed this passage to us and we pray that your spirit would uh, guide and lead us into your truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me start this morning with a, a hypothetical question. If uh, many of you are going to go to work or probably some of you are younger, we're going to go to school. If you're going to, if tomorrow when you go to your workplace, go to school, that all of a sudden, uh, Jesus showed up there. Okay, I know he's not going to unless if he comes back, we know it's going to be the rapture. But just hypothetically speaking, okay, if Jesus showed up at your workplace or at your school tomorrow or if you're retired then at your home, uh, how would you go about your day? Would you go about it as planned? I know tomorrow's Monday, so I mean, we probably have plans about what we're going to do and what we expect to do. But I would imagine that for most of us, if we're honest, we would probably say, yeah, I think it would change my schedule a little bit. No, a lot, right? We would immediately want to clear my schedule. Whatever I had planned, I'm going to clear it out. I'm going to make sure I spend all the time with Jesus. I'm going to have meals with him. I'm going to ask questions of him. I want to talk with him. I want to just show him, you know, maybe my family, introduce him to everybody that I know. Um, and then supposedly, of course, if having, you know, we do all that, what would you think if Jesus started to basically then as you, maybe if he does take, you go to work with him or he's at school with you, that he starts telling you how to do your job. So, oh, you know, by the way, uh, 
you know, I think you should add that line of code right there in that program. Oh, by the way, I think you should, you know, you should dispense a, a few more, you know, pills for that person, for this pharmacist. I, th I suppose, I think you need to, instead of teaching that subject, I want you to teach this subject as A in class. You know, I think you need, he's, you know, you're, you're seeing this person for this. I think you should probably do this instead to treat that person. Now, most of us would say, well, you know, I mean, we know who Jesus is. So, I mean, most of us would say, well, the right answer said, yes, Jesus, I'll do that. But we're going to find out that when some people, when people tell you, uh, you know, how to do your job, uh, you tend to kind of take it, uh, you would tend to take it sort of, uh, unless most of us have pride in our work, we'll, we'll take it with a little kind of, uh, with an arm's length. Say, you know, hold on a second. Uh, I think I know what I'm doing. But uh, I think hopefully most of us will say, yes, thank you, Jesus, for that idea. I will exactly do the way you asked me to. Well, Imagine what it would be like then at the, even at the end of the day, after having spent the time with Jesus, Jesus then says, you know, I want you to come and follow me. Come with me. The idea is that you would leave all that you have, all that you own, all that you uh, behind have, <laughs> know behind, and just go and follow after him. But Jesus calls us to follow him. I, I think we realize that it really, it, it changes our lives. Now, I'm not trying to say today that we're going to necessarily have to leave everything and go and be a missionary across the world. But when you answer the call to follow Jesus, it is a transformative call. It is a life-changing call. When Jesus calls us, it changes how we study. It changes how we work. It changes how we play how we serve, how we love. But so often, because Jesus doesn't show up in our workplace or in our home or in our school, we live our lives like everyone else. We live for ourselves instead of Christ. We forget the commitment that Christ calls us to when he called us to follow him. And today's passage that we just read encourages all of us, those of us who confess to follow Jesus Christ, to re-examine how we are living, to examine how we are doing as followers of Christ. My aim in this is that, and I'm, this is the 8 a.m. service, so, you know, if I'm going to choose where the, the greatest priority group of committed Christians, followers of Christ, I'm going I'm to place them in the 8 a.m. service because it takes a lot to get up for 8 a.m. service. This is where you say amen. Amen. But nevertheless, all of us... Uh, can be, if we're honest, we're, we can acknowledge that we do not follow Christ with our whole hearts as we are. There are times we do not follow him, we, but we follow our own ways. There are times that we're not thinking about his kingdom, we're thinking about building our kingdom. The key truth that we're going to see in our text is that the more clearly, though, that the more clearly that one recognizes who Jesus is, and in light of that, who you are, the more clearly you will follow him with a whole heart commitment. Luke 5 uh, basically continues the description of Jesus' Galilean ministry. As you've reread, it is the, the call of Peter to follow Jesus. Having given a, a summary of Jesus' message and ministry in chapter 4, Luke now turns to this call of his first disciples. He would eventually call 12 of them to follow him. These came to be known as apostles. 
They were called to be witnesses of his life, his message, his ministry, his death, as well as his resurrection. And Paul refers to these apostles as basically the foundation of the church in Ephesians 2.20. And although the apostles had a unique role in the foundational period of Christ's church, there are characteristics of these early followers, these early first disciples, that exemplify the characteristics of every disciple that would ever come to follow Jesus. And there are characteristics that I hope characterize and are exemplified in our lives as well, no matter wherever or whenever we live. And so as an outline today, we're going to look at these, we're going to focus a little bit on the qualities of those who follow Jesus. Uh, three qualities necessary for committed followers of Christ. But even as you focus on this more applicational outline, uh, make no mistake, we, we learn about Jesus in this text. We, these, these characteristics that flow out of these, reflected in these characters, are, exist because they come to realize something about Jesus. And hopefully, Lord willing, we'll draw that out. We'll show you the connection of those characteristics to who Christ is. All right, let's take a look then at this story. The first uh, characteristic, or the first quality that's necessary for those who are committed followers of Christ is that you're going to be one who is available for the ministry of Christ. You're available for the ministry of Christ. And that is, you come to understand the, what is the value the, of the ministry or the word of Christ that you make yourself available to it. We, we've read it already in verse 1 to 3, this story that took place. That it happened while basically Jesus was teaching one day. Then uh, the crowds are gathering around him. It tells us in verse 1 that the setting of this is in the lake of Gennesaret. Now the lake of Gennesaret is maybe unfamiliar to some of us, but it's simply another name for the Sea of Galilee. Gennesaret was simply the name of the fertile plain that was south of Capernaum. Remember Capernaum is the, the kind of the, the headquarters of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Gennesaret is simply the Greek uh, version of the Old Testament Hebrew name of this area, uh, which if you're in your Old Testament would be called Kinnereth or Chinnereth. And note also, it's just interesting, that Luke is specifically, is technically correct, and he calls it a lake. It's the lake of Gennesaret, though oftentimes we just refer to it as the Sea of Galilee. It's, but it's actually a lake. It's surrounded body of water, surrounded by land. And if you uh, have read the stories of uh, the Sea of Galilee, you would know that this was a, a great place for fishing. Some of you are fishermen, so uh, you would, may appreciate that. Maybe someday you want to take a trip to go to the Sea of Galilee and go fishing if the uh, Lord allows that. But on this day, it was, a, it was the great, not only was it a great place for fishing, but it was a great place for teaching. Jesus is gathering and coming along the path, of this, uh, the, the beach path. And he's surrounded by a crowd of people, it says. A crowd. It was such that they were pressing around him. They were like in his face, you know. They were in, you know, right near, like in that place where it's, it's uncomfortable. They're, they're near, they're surrounding him. And so you can imagine as he's trying to teach, what is it like to have this large crowd surrounding you? And obviously, uh, it, it just hinders the effectiveness of teaching to the large crowd. Uh, <clears throat> when it comes to Jesus' teaching uh, and the we know that his teaching was different. We've learned that his uh, teaching that was with authority and with power, that his word would cast out demons and cure diseases. And the reason why his word was so different was because it is the, not the word of men, but it says here the word of God. We come to usually talk about the Bible as the word of God. But uh, at this point, this is, the, uh, this is the, really the first place in the Gospels or in, in Luke that we find, come across this phrase. 
it really becomes popularized by Luke. This phrase, word of God, is actually found only one other time in each of the other Gospels. But Luke uses it a total of 15 times throughout his, Luke, his writings, Luke and, the Gospel of Luke and Acts. So it's, it's a term that Luke really coins or, brings, or really uses predominantly and makes popular. And then Paul takes off with it and just kind of uh, refers to the word of God in, in th- hundreds of times. This was Jesus' ministry. He was, came to teach the word of God. As we remember in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus' priority in ministry was not to cast out demons, not to cure diseases, but it was to preach and teach the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God. He was about the kingdom, and he was the king. And his ministry is a ministry of teaching the word of God. On this occasion, the crowds, of course, made it so difficult for him to teach that uh, Jesus got creative. (laughs) I was just thinking about it uh, the other day, uh, you know, how sometimes um, when we teach the word of God, we have to have things just right. I was thinking about, you know, I... I'm dependent upon this pulpit to preach. And um, uh, somebody came up to me other ways and said, you know, hey, we might have to move the pulpit somewhere uh, on one Sunday and next Sunday. And, uh, you know, we might have to have you preach from a little stand. And at first I was thinking to myself, oh, boy, how will I do that? You know, but after reading this text, you know, if Jesus can teach in a boat, I can teach without a pulpit. Uh, you know, but certainly Jesus gets creative and he sees, he realizes I'm not able to effectively teach from this, from the from the crowd, the beachhead. So he sees two fishing boats, and he goes up to one of them, and they were the fishermen were out of their boats, they're washing their nets. So they they basically had completed the day. They had fished all night, and so they're now mending, washing, taking care of their nets, and preparing it for the next day. When he goes up to one of these boats, one of these boats belonged to Simon, uh, aka Peter. And Jesus gets into Simon's boat and asks him to put out a little way from the land. You know, think about what Jesus is asking Simon here. Simon had worked all night already. He's tired. Uh, he's probably thinking about going home, maybe eating a little bit, and then going to sleep. Imagine if you worked all day, and I headed out, and then you headed out to your car. You're ready to go home. And then all of a sudden, you're, as you're putting your bag in your trunk, uh, all of a sudden, your passenger door opens, and Jesus gets in. And then he says, hey, he asks you to take him up to, he said, hey, can you, can you take me up to Mount Davidson Cross? There's a crowd gathered there. I want to, uh, and they've gathered to hear him teach the word of God. Now, how many of us would say, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm tired today. I just worked all day. I've, I've got to get to home. I've got to go do some things. I, I made some appointments. Can I call Uber or Lyft for you? Maybe Pastor Roger's available. Let me call him. I uh, hope not. But there are times when uh, there's an availability, there's a need in the, in, to, for, uh, to help needed, and sometimes we're not available. But Simon was available. Simon made himself available. He was available for the ministry of Christ. It's because he understood the significance of Jesus' ministry. He was available to the Lord's request for help. You know, see, this wasn't the first time that Peter, or Simon Peter had uh, interacted with Jesus. Uh, we, of course, there's, uh, there's the, the, the passage before but in John chapter 1, the very first time that we see Peter interacting with Jesus is in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verse 35 and following, we, we, we learn there about Andrew and John and how they were disciples of John the Baptist at first. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, he declared to be, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And at that point, Andrew and John began to follow Jesus. 
we read in verse uh, 40 of John chapter 1, one of the two who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translate means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, it's astounding already just to, have be, to be introduced to the one who they, they believe to be the Messiah. But then all of a sudden, Jesus goes even beyond for Peter. He gives him a whole new name. He says, you are going to be called Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic uh, form of Peter, a rock. So at the very, this very instance, at the very first time that Peter meets Jesus, he has introduced him, or he's told by Andrew that this is the Messiah. This is the king. And, of course, they're not completely 100% sure. They're just, there are others who claim to be the Messiah. But here, Andrew says, this is the, the Messiah. We found him. And so he sees him. And he starts looking at him as, is this the Messiah? But when he goes up to him, Jesus then gives him a completely new name. And so from that standpoint, he's, he's been following Jesus from, uh, in, a, in a casual, kind of informal way. He's, uh, they traveled with him, eventually returned back to Galilee. Uh, and where Peter and, and Andrew and James and John, they, they began, they returned back to their fishing uh, job. Now they were not following Jesus full time. They, were, they were continued in their, their calling or in their profession of, of being fishermen. Following Jesus for them was basically something they did in their spare time. But now as Jesus approaches, as they're washing their nets, he, he had been seeing and probably hearing Jesus teaching uh, the, the crowds on the shore. Perhaps uh, he'd already heard Jesus in the synagogue as well, as well. But Peter, when Jesus makes his request to Peter, Peter was immediately available for the ministry of Christ. Jesus was able to teach effectively the crowd of people then from the boat. Because of that, he, 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 took out, he answered his call, took the boat out a little way, and from there, Jesus uh, began to teach. Now, I think for application for us is that Peter, he understands the, the importance of Jesus' teaching. So that even though he's tired, even though he's worked all day, he, he makes, avails himself to enable Jesus to teach the word of Christ, allow his to preach the, about the kingdom. And I think that's a great for, a reminder for us. We need to be people who are available for the ministry of Christ, the ministry of the gospel. Now, all of us may not be gifted teachers, but all of us can be committed followers of Christ who will be available to help advance the ministry of Christ. We can help and support those who teach the word of God. Uh, some of us uh, support the work by giving to the work, giving to support the work. Some of us uh, participate by serving in the support ministries of this church, like worship support that enables us to worship God and are the mission support and helping us as a church to send out and, and participate in missions around the world or even uh, be part of our, uh, some of our teams like special events that helps to plan the many events that go on in the church for the furtherance of the gospel. And then there are many of us who serve as teachers, counselors, shepherds of the body. We actually focus on making disciples and teaching the word of God. And this is, by the way, just a great plug. I'm going to plug uh, Day Camp again. I appreciate the announcement. But Day Camp is one of those that just is uh, one of the, those fun ministries that we have each year. And it, it requires a lot of people. It's, it's labor-intensive. And, and it's kind of fun to see all the good number of people in the church come together. But I, I hope that you could be available. If you're looking for a way to be available to the ministry of Christ, that's a wonderful way to be, to be participants of this ministry.
Are we available for the ministry of Christ? And that, that's just something we uh, all should ask ourselves. Because when we come to understand the value of the, the ministry of the teaching of the word of God, then we will make ourselves available for it because it's important. Is his ministry important? Is it of great value? Then let us make us available to that. Uh, I think uh, you know, the, the illustration, of course, is that if I had tickets to uh, the next Warriors game, uh, how many would you would be available to that? Probably some of us. Those of us that value that. Most of us. <laughs> I don't even value it that much. I think I'd take it too. But imagine if you came to where had an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God, the teaching of the word of God. Is that a value? Absolutely. Yeah, I want to make myself available to that. All right, that's, uh, let's move on. Secondly, uh, not only are we going to be available, a committed follower of Christ is going to be available to the ministry of Christ, but secondly, a committed follower of Christ is going to be obedient to the word of Christ. Obedient to the word of Christ. And so um, <clears throat> when basically Jesus finished speaking here in verse 4 through 7, we see that uh, he then, Jesus really doesn't stop teaching. He stopped teaching the crowds, but now he focuses on teaching Peter. He makes an unusual request of Simon. He, he instructs Simon to basically put out the boat out further into deep water. And I love this. This is a very devotion, clear devotional idea here is that Jesus, when he calls us, he, he's really he's like asking us to take step after step after step. Jesus never take kind of, he, he guides us along, you know. He takes the first little step. Hey, we'll take it out a little into the short, little way from the shore. And he says, now take it out a little further, deeper. And then he's going to, he kind of increases the demand. Uh, those who are faithful with little will be asked of and given greater responsibilities to be faithful with more. But anyways, Jesus having taught the crowds, it basically just is now re- makes this request to Peter. <laughs> but it's, a, it's an interesting request because he tells him to go out of the deep water and let down his nets. Here was a carpenter from Nazareth, one who lives in the mountains, okay? One who does not know body of water there where he's going to be fishing on a regular basis. And here he's telling this career fisherman how to fish. Again, how do you respond when someone tells you, who doesn't basically, tells you how to do your job, especially when they have no experience in your profession? <laughs> I feel sorry for doctors mostly these days, you know. Uh, doctors, because I, I do it to them all the time. I say, oh, I, re- I read on Google, doctor. <laughs> this, this might be this and this. Are you, should, you, are you sure you diagnosed me correctly? Uh, we have so much knowledge on our hand, and I, I've heard there's other careers that experience the same thing. Uh, I read something on Google. So, uh, you know, do you, do you think you should do this instead? Um, and uh, I think for... Um, uh, for many, most people, we would probably uh, kind of just, you know, our pride kicks in. We kind of bristle at the request. But here, um, Jesus makes this request. And on a good day, maybe, uh, you know, someone is going to say, well, oh, thank you for the request. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll consider that. But on a bad day, especially when we're full of pride, we'll probably lash out. Say, what, what do you know about what I do? You know, who are you to tell me what to do? Yeah, get out of my face. But uh, Simon had a bad day. Uh, and he had a bad night, Okay. But listen to how he answers in verse 5. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. So Simon explains here. Um, and, and I want to add, that you can preach this different way. You can read this into it. You can read sarcasm here. You know, oh, Lord, you, we worked hard all night and day, you know. Or you can say, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. 
but the wording here, I believe in the totality of the wording, really overall shows an attitude of submission. First of all, we see an attitude of submission because he addresses Jesus as master. It's a title that a, a disciple would address one's tutor. A student would, would address one's teacher. And so it's, it's used exclusively by Luke, by the way, this word. But it, oftentimes in all the parallel passages, it comes parallel with the ter- term teacher or rabbi. So Simon then calling Jesus master is recognizing that this master is his tutor. One who, the connotation is not so much one of greater authority, but rather of greater knowledge. This is, this is significant. It's not of greater authority, though that is implied here, but it is of greater knowledge that he calls the master. See, although Peter is the captain of his boat, he recognized that Jesus is the master. Whatever it is that we, uh, that we may be captain of in our lives, for me, it's maybe pastoral ministry, for you, Maybe medical field or the programming field or your education or, or uh, other, or science, other science fields or, or sociology fields. Whatever it is that you are captain of, we must remember and never forget that Jesus as the creator of all the heavens and earth is the master of it all. He has the Ph.D. in everything. Okay? He is the scholar in every single detail of, our, of this world. And he knows more and he knows better. Peter recognizes that. He continues to explain, though, and he wants to just says, as a matter of fact, they, that basically, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. They had basically worked long hours through the whole night. They had worked hard. They, the word is labored to the point of weariness, toiled. They worked in vain also. They, they had basically caught nothing. There is a hint of, of reserve in Paul's words. He, he just wants to make sure, you know, it's just like as a, as a Faithful subordinate, you're going to make sure that your, the, your boss has all no, the necessary knowledge in the decisions that they make. I was thinking about the request and what it's like, you know, and, uh, and certainly I, I'm not going to, I would probably wouldn't respond like Peter would, but it, I was thinking, it's like at the end of the day's services, at the end of second service today, uh, Jesus comes and says to me, oh, uh, Henry, stay an hour and preach the message again. Okay, that's like 1.30, all right? Uh, and then I would say, oh, Lord, I've already preached your message twice today. I, you know, I'm a little tired. Uh, um, and when I preached it, no one got up and repented, uh, nor received Christ. Besides, everyone's gone. You know, what would you do if you were in my shoes? Well, Hope to say, well, I guess I'll do it, Lord. And you're just going to trust that Jesus is going to bring people, uh, at least those of you at the lunch crowd comes back. But I love Peter's response. And most of us, would, you know, have this reservation. And that's Peter does. He, has, he acknowledges that reservation. But I love still Peter's response at the very end here. Because literally, he's, in the Greek, he says literally this order. But upon your word, but upon your word, I will let down the nets. Here is a complete obedience to the word of Christ, to his master. Upon your word, because you said so, because you spoke and you're the master, you know better than I, you know more than I, I will let down the nets even though I have, based upon my experience and my knowledge and my, my circumstances, I think it's going to be different. But because you said so, I'm going to do that. He willingly obeys. 
this is not the time of the day for fish. Peter and his, his, his uh, uh, partners are, are tired. They've already fished these waters, and there has been no fish. It's just not a good fishing day. But upon your word, Peter says, because you say so, Jesus, because you know better than me, I will do as you say. And that's an example for us. Because he values the word of Christ, or really the knowledge of Christ. He knows that Jesus knows more than him. In fact, if he was most likely there in John chapter 1, when Jesus reveals that revelation to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's amazed and begins to follow him as well. Jesus knows better, and he obeys him because he knows that he trusts in Jesus' knowledge, trusts in Jesus' word. The next time uh, we are tempted to not obey anything, the, the word of Christ, listen to what your heart is teaching you. Think about what your heart's teaching. Lord, I know, usually it's something like to this extent. We're probably going to be like this. If you can put it in this, this kind of phrase, you're probably thinking the reason why you're not going to disobey is, Lord, I know this, I know blank, or I feel, or I've done blank. One of those three, you, you based on your knowledge, your feeling, your experience. That's what it's going to be. Generally, it's going to be one of the three. And that's why I'm not going to obey your word. But how you conduct yourself is based upon because you think you're king. You think you're, rule, you, you're the master. But instead, we ought to think like this. Lord, although I know, I feel, I've done this blank. Whatever I, my knowledge, my feelings, my emotions, my experience... Upon your word, because you say so, because you know better, Lord, because you know more than I do, because you are the great and sovereign God, I will do as you say. I will obey. And I think that's a helpful, especially when it comes to not so much the, uh, maybe any, it applies in a lot of general ways, but it especially applies when it comes to the ministry of the gospel. You know, a lot of times, one of the great hindrances to us proclaiming the gospel is because we're afraid. We know that it's a, it's a message that most people will reject. It's a, ministry, it's a message of foolishness, even the scripture talking about. It sounds like foolishness to the world. It's a stumbling block to people. Many people reject it as basically just outdated superstitions, as a crutch. And we know that that's how people think. Nevertheless, we know that the Lord has commanded us to teach this message to the world. And how, what motivates us to obey, obey and to proclaim the message of the gospel of Christ? Because we know that though it is a message of foolishness to the world, though it is a stumbling block, though it is something that's rejected by many, that God, that Christ who commands us to make disciples, to teach his word to the nations, knows better. And he has, he has asked us, and therefore we say, because you said so, Lord, we will obey. Now observe the results of Simon's obedience to Jesus' command, verse 6 to 7. Uh, basically, when they'd done this, they, they, they went and they obeyed. They cast, went out to deeper waters. They threw down their nets to try to catch a fish. And they enclosed this great quantity of fish. And there was such a great quantity that their boats began, their, their nets began to break. They're filled to the point of breaking. And these experienced fishermen, they know that, hey, they need help. So they kind of signal to their, uh, their partners, probably James and John. They're in the second boat by the uh, Orion shore. And they signal for the partners to come out. And they come alongside. And when the second boat comes along, they all start hauling in the fish into their boats. There is so much fish that not only Peter's boat is filled, but so is James and John's boat. 
And by the way, these are not little life rafts. These are not little dinghies, you know, small little boats. These are good-sized boats. There's archaeological records uh, found uh, in, uh, the near, in one of the nearby towns. Boats, the, these fishing boats dating to that period, were about seven and a half feet wide, 27 feet long. These, these boats would have filled a lot of fish, more fish than most of us would be able to carry together even. It was the catch that every fisherman dreamed of. I've heard that fishermen dream of catching fish. Is that true? I'm not a fisherman. But it was the catch of their lifetimes. I like how one author puts it. All their fishes had come true. I like that. Okay. Anyways. But Jesus did no better. And uh, because they obeyed, uh, they were... It, Jesus, it, because they will not obey, they, they come to see the reality of Jesus' knowledge that he did know better. Even though they had reasons based upon their knowledge, their experience, their, their, their feelings to not obey. But because they did, of course, we, we get to see Jesus' knowledge, Jesus' word glorified, magnified. This is, that was, this is our second uh, obedience. So, oh, I forgot. <laughs> And just Matthew 20, the Great Commission is that we, is, this is what we call all people. To. It's not just, um, obedience is not something we call just the, those who are committed uh, followers, not just like a second class, a higher class of Christians. It's something that all of us are to do. To, the Great Commission calls us to observe, to teach others to observe all that Christ commanded. Anyway, so we move on. Thirdly, the third quality and final quality necessary for a committed follower of Christ is that we be humbled by the power of Christ. That we must be humbled by the power of Christ. Now, this boat is now, both boats are full. And have you ever been on a boat? I, I've, you know, when I was a little boy, it was scary. I, I've been on fishing boats with my, with my dad and uncles. And I remember sometimes I'd be afraid because I, I, I couldn't swim. So, but especially when the boat would get kind of heavy, we'd get, you know, too many uncles in the boat. And I could, we'd so paddling, you know, we, and back then they, they didn't even have a, they had a, they had a motor, I remember just the oar, you know, it was an oar boat, right? And we, the boat would get kind of low, and, and you could tell the water's just, you know, maybe a few inches from the top of the boat. And you just, I'm afraid, because I'm like, man, what's going to happen? This water's going to gonna come over, and it just, um, yeah, boy. You can just imagine, this is what's happening with Peter, but it's even more, because they're, they're out in the deep, right? This is the deep waters. There's, they can't see the bottom of the sea. And so this fear grips them right there. And we see that verse 8, Peter is aware that this, uh, not, but it's not just the fear of drowning, but he sees this along with this massive, all these fish, and he falls down right in there in the middle of the boat with all the fish there in the, in, the, in the hold, and he falls down at Jesus' feet, and he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Notice in verse 8, first of all, I want to mention that up to this point, Luke has been referring to him as Simon. But now, Luke uses the title, Simon, or the name Simon Peter. The full, if you will, his full name. Peter was that name, again, given by Jesus. And it seems to, uh, that Luke starts using it here because it marks a significant turning point in Simon's life. This is now where he becomes, turns from Simon to Peter, if you will, to be that rock. Peter is amazed and overwhelmed by this power of this, in this catch of fish, a catch of fish he's never seen before. He immediately falls down in a posture of humble submission, and he makes this profound confession that recognizes the presence of divine power. Three things to note about this confession that he makes. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Three things. First of all, he calls Jesus Lord. 
Lord. This is now the title, the Greek word kurios, master. And uh, whenever it's used, it, it, usually, it is usually used of a reference to uh, a div- the divine, kind of the divine name. It can be a reference to sir, someone, just a, someone who is a re- worthy of respect. But the fact that he falls down at his feet and then calls him Lord tells us that Peter at least recognized that Jesus is a representative of divine power. Divine power has manifested itself here, and he recognizes that by calling him Lord. Secondly, as in, in response to the power of Christ displayed, he asked the Lord to depart from him. Go away from me, Lord. He, he's, and this request basically, oh, he's been following Jesus informally, right? He, he was introduced him as Messiah. They followed him back to Galilee. Uh, um, and so uh, into Capernaum even. But now he asked the Lord to go away from me. I'm not, it's a, it's a statement of basically he's not worthy to be in the same boat with Jesus. He has no right to be associated with the Lord. He comes to realize that in that somehow the power or the holiness or the greatness of, of Christ is so great, so wonderful that he, who am I to, to, to have interactions with you? Depart from me. I'm not worthy of you. Thirdly, he confesses that he is, the reason he calls to him, he confesses that he's a sinful man. For I am a sinful man. In this divine encounter with Jesus, Peter becomes aware, very much aware of his own sin and shortcomings. It's much like when you think of Isaiah 6 or any of those times when any person stands before God appears or sees a revelation of God. The, you know, the, when you see Jesus, normally it's, we think, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to love him, I'm going to hug him, you know. Let's go. No, we're going to fall down at our feet. We're going to fall down because we're going to realize he is holy and he is great and he is almighty. And we are, he's the creator and we are not worthy because of our sin. We fall down at his feet, just as Peter does, and we'll acknowledge our sinfulness, our shortcomings, how we are not worthy to be in his presence. And this is the pattern for us, isn't it? When we come and we come to an awareness and an encounter of who Jesus is, we see the power of Jesus. And usually it's the power of Jesus manifests through the cross. That this son of God died for you. That then it causes us to go through kind of the same process. We recognize him, that he is Lord. We come to recognize that we're not worthy of, of, his, of being in his presence. We come to acknowledge that we are a sinner. We don't deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve God, but we, we, do, we deserve God's wrath. Who am I that the Son of God would die for me? And then it's because I'm a sinner. I fall short of God's holy standard. You know, if... If you don't ever recognize that you're a sinner, and that's what uh, we're going to have a baptism next week. And when I, when I, when I went through the testimonies of our different, uh, of our different candidates, uh, there's one thing I look for always. I look for the, the, the atonement of Christ. Do they recognize that Christ died for them? But before that, I always look for, do they acknowledge that they're a sinner? Do they acknowledge they have sin? Because if they don't acknowledge they have sin, then they can say all they want about Jesus, what he, who he was, what he, but they got to know that he died for them as sinners. They're a sinner. They need Jesus. Without recognition that we're sinners, we'll never recognize our need for Jesus. Peter recognizes he's a sinner. He recognizes that he, and, but his response is quite different. He says, but depart from me. 
And uh, we're, Pastor Roger and I were talking about this passage earlier this week, and Pastor Roger made this comment. It's, it's wonderful that uh, Jesus did, just didn't say, oh, okay, and just walk away. He doesn't just say, oh, yeah, okay, you're a sinner. I don't, I don't, I'm a, I don't care. Ooh. But it's just exactly because he recognizes that he's a sinner. These are the kinds of people that Jesus calls. Later on in Luke, Jesus is going to say, I did not come to, to heal the righteous, but the sick, the sinners. He calls them to repentance. As for Peter, Jesus' reply basically then turns out to, to be a call to follow him. Verse 11, Jesus said, or verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. Jesus comforts Simon there. He's afraid. He's, he's in awe. And he says, from now on, you'll be catching men. It like, sounds a little odd to, to us because we're usually familiar with the other Matthew's account or Mark's account where it says, from now on, you will be fishers of men. But Luke, as he retells this, uh, this incident, changes the wording a little bit. He puts it in his own, uses his own wording. I believe that uh, Matthew, Mark's is, the, is probably the exact words that Jesus said. Um, but most, I, I think, and so Luke is probably re, kind of paraphrasing it. From now on, you will be catching men to give the sense of Jesus' word. But the word catching is a, is a rich picture word. It actually means to capture alive, to capture something alive. Not, not to, when you capture something, you, uh, you can capture it and then kill it. But to hear the idea is to capture and to keep alive, to capture and to, to save, to keep it from, from danger, from, getting, from being taken away or put away. As fishermen, when they captured fish, they captured to kill it, to eat it. But now as a fisher of men, Jesus is calling Peter to capture people alive, capture the souls of men and women alive, bringing them to a, a saving faith in Jesus Christ. This is a, by the way, this is a continual present tense action. This is what Peter would be called through the, for the rest of his life, a continual ministry of doing so. It would be a call to make disciples by proclaiming to them of the gospel of Christ. This call not only it was given to Peter, but it would extend to his companions. Because we see that they respond as well in verse 11. And the same call extends to all who follow Jesus. He calls us to go and to catch men and women, to make disciples of Christ. This is simply the Great Commission. And Peter and co-workers, they, they answered Jesus' call to be catchers of men. As a consequence, we see in the end of verse 11, when they brought their boats to land, their boats, they, they, they brought their nets, all the fish, and it says they left everything and followed him. They left their boats, they left their nets, they left their fish, they left their careers, they left their families, they left their hometowns, and they followed Jesus. And when you and I follow Jesus, it means being willing to leave everything behind. And these were the apostles, and they were, and they were called to follow and observe his ministry for three years, and, or for, for his, the years of ministry, and then to be witnesses of that, of his death and resurrection. But nevertheless, for those who follow Christ, we are, are those who are called to be willing and ready to leave whatever it is that we own, possess behind, in answer to follow Jesus. For these disciples, 
the kingdom of Christ became their priority, their new, prior, their great new priority. The souls of men and women were their priority. And they followed Jesus for that call, to answer that call. It is not an easy call. It is a radical call. It's a life-changing call. It's a call of complete submission to the Lordship of Christ. As we read in our call to worship in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says a similar thing. If any, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, you see, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then similarly in, in Luke 14, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. See, following Jesus means to be willing to, in, to put everything in second place to the priority of following after him. Whether it is even our families, our loved ones, our, even our lives, they are all in second place in, in comparison to Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus is our new master. Jesus to be honored and to be obeyed above all else. And the question for us is, do we follow Jesus with the same attitude? And if not, then I think we need to just remind ourselves again, reflect again on the scriptures. Reflect on who Jesus is. Do we see his divine power? Do we see his great sacrifice for us, his great love for us? And when we see that power manifest in the scriptures, it humbles us. Who are we to be worthy of this? Who are not worthy? And it causes us to just to be willing to follow Christ. Well, three things. Committed followers of Christ will be those who are available for the ministry of Christ. His ministry is valuable. They are going to be obedient to the word of Christ because his knowledge is greater. They're going to be people who are humbled by the power of Christ. Because in his power we recognize that we're not worthy of being in his presence. But amazing grace, wonderful compassion, the wisdom of God is that of all things, such people, Jesus calls to follow him, to be used by him, to go into the world and to tell others of the king and his kingdom and how they may enter that kingdom through faith in him. May we be committed followers of Christ. May we learn from these examples because we come to know and see who Christ is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time. And as we opened up this passage, may you continue to uh, cause each of us to be wholly committed followers of Christ with our lives. Lord, that even though we live on earth and you've given us responsibilities to take care of our families, of our, our children, our, our parents, uh, our work, our schooling, our education, You've given us all these things, but yet, Lord, they are, we, we're reminded again that they are secondary. They are subservient to the greater purpose that we have to follow after you. To live for not our kingdom, but your kingdom. To trust not in our own ways, our own thoughts, our own knowledge, but to trust in your ways and your knowledge and your thoughts. Thank you, Lord, for showing Peter and his disciples your greatness. We thank you, Lord, for how you've shown us your greatness in your word, and especially the greatness of Christ, the Son of God, dying in our place 
for our sins upon the cross. Father, we thank you that as we reflect upon who Christ is, it makes us want to be available for the awesome ministry of the preaching and teaching of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. That as we think of Christ, it makes us want to be obedient to his word because he knows better than us. Even when the word doesn't make sense, Lord, help us to obey. Father, we pray that as we know Jesus, that you would cause people who are humble, submissive, recognize our complete unworthiness, but yet our complete dependence upon the power of Christ. Lord, we cannot produce any, a single soul to be saved in and of ourselves. And yet you call us to go out and to be fishers of men. Lord, what a humbling reminder that it is, salvation is all of you. But yet, Lord, help us be faithful to go out and to go fish and wait for your provision of a catch. Lord, we pray that as your kingdom continues to be built, may the name of Jesus Christ be magnified here in this city and around the world. Thank you, Father, for this time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.